Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? It's Thor week. I know. I'm I'm really, really excited. And here's why I'm really, really excited. I can't remember if I texted this to you or Frank Daniel. I feel like, and especially because after what Feige said on the next saga being revealed soon, I feel like this int tag is going to be like the mind-blowing int tag. Yes. I'm measuring my words carefully here because I have seen some spoiler-free reactions on on social media, like both on Twitter and on Reddit. People have already seen it. Hell, you took a social media break. July 1st. That's wow, we're recording. already? That's you really <laughs> dope in. Okay. Listen, man. You're, you're like you're like the kid, you know, back when we were little and the parents were like, no, you just got out of the pool and ate. You got to wait an hour. And you're like just sitting there like clutching the side of the pool as your feet dangle in the water. And the moment the hour's up, you just go diving in. Dude, we used to have family swim nights. I literally was that kid. <laughs> That's why it works. That's why it works. <laughs> but yes, although I never I could get seen... you on those, I never could get you to go on the slide. Anyways, that was when I was older and a lot heavier than when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that slide was not going to hold me up. <laughs> I'm older than you, and I went on it. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, the reception to Love and Thunder seems to be really, really exciting, and. And, and something I want to clarify here, not like just in case anyone's listening doesn't catch on, Feige said the next saga, not the next phase, right. the next saga, like kind of like the Infinity Stones was the major thing for the first three phases. So I'm very curious what that is going to reveal itself to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exciting stuff, man. I, uh, I can't wait to see it. Me too. I'm, tr- I'm trying to, I'm mentally trying to avoid... The rabbit hole of starting to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We used to try and do the uh, what to expect. Oh, shoot. We were supposed to do that. <laughs> Oops. Was that on our calendar somewhere? Yes. One of these. I I got to either chalk. We either got to chalk it up to. This is the headspace we're in and we'll get back to it. Mm-hmm. Doing this. Or this is how the how or the natural evolution of the pod of what works for us, you know, and what works for us. Well, so far, clearly, it's not doing what to expect because <laughs> it doesn't has, hasn't been happening. <laughs> oh man, we'll figure it out as we go. Yep. Well, you know, speaking of what does work. Let's go ahead and jump into the meat of today's episode. So if you downloaded this episode, then you know we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 4 of Miss Marvel, entitled Seeing Red. The way we're going to do this is we're going to have some pre-spoiler thoughts, which is where we're going to discuss this episode without getting into spoilers, before hearing an audio cue, which will take us into the spoiler zone for full, detailed discussions. So Jude, before we get there, what were your pre-spoiler thoughts for this episode? I think this was the most disappointing episode of the series wow that's not to say i didn't like it but i i feel like the best way i can describe it is it feels like the first episodes were great i love them you know go back and listen to all the others as this is your first time here and you'll see how much i loved them i feel like this feels kind of like that that moment like say on a roller coaster where you come to that screeching halt and you're about to like 
slowly work your way up another drop, like mid roller coaster. And so it's not that I didn't like the episode, but it felt like a very, very slow, like a big slowdown from, from what we've been getting. And in that way, it was kind of disappointing and more of like what my expectations were. So, yeah. So it doesn't mean I didn't like the episode. I'm just, or like all of a sudden I don't like the series at all because that's furthest thing from the truth. But the, it just felt like a, like an interesting, like, okay, we're going to tap the brakes here. You know, I think in the text, I, I, I told you, you know, there was a lot of exposition in this episode, you know? And so in, in that way, I think that's where my disappointment came. You know, I had that wow reaction, but I don't think we're actually that far off in reception. I think it was just because I felt that too. I think you put it perfectly how it feels like that moment in the roller coaster where you stop at the top. I think the first three episodes have done such a great job of continuously escalating forward of like, I mean, we even said it. How did they top the one before it? Right. And I think this one, if you would have told me where we last left off last week with the the wedding incident and everything that happened there, I never would have expected a slowdown episode after. And I think by the time the series ends, we're going to see how necessary this episode was. So it may not have the momentum the other three had until the very, very end, but I think it is setting the groundwork for what will be the most rewarding aspects of the season, specifically through episodes five and six. Yeah. yeah. So it, and it took me like, cause I've now seen this episode three times that first watch. I was like, okay, I like this, but it is not the strongest out of the four released so far. But as I've continuously rewatched it, I've grown a deeper appreciation for it. I, I just realized the roller coaster that I could, that I'll reference. There was a roller coaster in Astroworld called the Ultra Twister. And basically, you started at the drop. And the first drop was a straight down drop. And then when you came, when you pulled up, there was this, it would twist. And you're like in this tube thing and it would twist. And then the end of it is your typical mid roller coaster stop. And then you, it, it like dropped you down and you went backwards, twisting, twisting back through. And so I felt, I, in that sense, as good as the first episodes were, it's almost like an immediate, like this. It was just immediate, straight down drop, first thing you do, and all these twists. And then there was that moment where you just kind of jerk to a stop and slow down to then start back up again. Um, and it was brief. So that's what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very specific for the analogy, but that's, I don't know why that comes to mind. <laughs> I think because, I think because that ride had always had a short line when I went and it was one you can just do over and over and over again. You're talking to the worst person because I was deathly afraid of roller coasters. So I rode almost oh, zero. Man, I loved it. Do you remember, <laughs> do you, do you, do you remember the, um, the zipper? Not at, not at, at just basically a carnival uh-huh. ride. Is that the one that swings back and forth super no, high? No, it's, it's the one where it's like like uh, like straight up and down, and the cars on the side move, but then the whole thing turns, and you end up doing a lot of like flips and stuff. Oh like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved that growing up, and I remember going to a carnival, and my oldest riding getting the nerve to riding riding that the first time and they were just on the borderline of being tall enough like just barely right so they're still kind of small and i remember getting in there that first time they went to flip 
because they were they were so small, they went like shooting up, like almost out of the seat to the top, and had to reach up and grab their shoulder and pull them down and hold them down the rest of the ride. They have not t- partaken rides like that since. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, a lot of uh, roller coaster talk this I know, episode, I know. <laughs> but. I think that's going to be a good place to leave our pre-spoiler thoughts. Uh, So like we said, you're going to hear an audio cue. And on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So the way we're going to handle this is we've got three most important topics to discuss this week, starting with Mothers and Daughters, the Red Daggers, and the Clandestines Attack. So the first one is going to be a section for us to really highlight just how mother-centric this episode was because we had various plot lines of Kamala and Muniba, Muniba and her mother, Sana, and Sana and Kamala as well. So Jude, starting within this first most important topic, where would you like to begin? Hmm. I actually really liked, uh, my, I, my first note, i just put it this way, was the music. Basically, just read it off real quick. Uh, again, great with the music. And I loved how, and I mentioned in another episode, how they use the physical space to show distance between characters. And they did that here in the plane between Kamala and her mom. You know, because, I mean, you would expect them to be sitting next to each other, you know. And and even watching it the second time through, even though they had he had his face covered, you could actually see that that wasn't her mom. And I noticed that on the second time through, the first time through, I didn't notice. It was just, oh, the paper's up and my just, the visual vocabulary, you sit next to people kind of thing kicked in. Um, so I really liked that, the, the the continued use of space there. And the International Waters comment. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> About the rules of being grounded. Yes, yes. Man, the Khan family is pretty laxed when it comes to, I guess, discipline, disciplinary actions because- Kamala gets caught going to Avengers Con. The very next day, she's okay with going to the family party. She ruins her brother's wedding, even though we know the real reasons of why. But perceptually, to the family, she ruined the wedding. And they're going to Pakistan. (laughs) Right? It's like that same night, grandmother, you got to come to Pakistan. It's like, uh, this might not be the best time. I just, you know, committed a felony by pulling the (laughs) the fire alarm. Um you know, not a good plan. Uh, Again, we know what we do. It's a show, but all of a sudden it feels like no time has passed. And to get two tickets to Pakistan, you're dropping some change on top of that. (laughs) I think it's a testament to how wonderfully strong the characters are. That doesn't make sense. No, but it doesn't matter because it's just like a, What matters is really servicing that theme that they've been exploring and the story calls for them to go visit the grandmother. So whatever. Yeah, I'm on board. I like this. And it it doesn't feel weighted down by like having to explain every logical detail. And I think that's a that is a testament to a confident written story. Oh, yeah. Um, Speaking of Kamala and Muniba, though, I really love that not only do we see. Kamala getting to spend a majority of this episode getting in touch with her family's history in Pakistan, getting to speak with her grandmother. 
Muniba is getting a lot of focus here too with her own mother, Sana. Going back all the way to episode one, I believe, I mentioned something to the effect of that both Kamala and Muniba have something to reconcile with before they can bridge that gap together. I didn't, I never dreamed that we would get a scene of just Muniba and her mother. And I was very happy to see that pain, I guess you could call it, of what Muniba had to go through growing up. Because even though, again, we have the benefit of the audience knowing that the fantastical side does exist, everybody wrote off Sana as this crazy, weird person with these fanatical theories, and Muniba paid the price for it. And so you saw how that put that distance between not only her and her mother, but her and her daughter as she's now in this role of having to protect her and not put her down that same path. So it's it was illuminating on a lot of the actions that Muniba has had throughout this first part of the series. Oh, yeah. Well, and it was such a good, clever way to do that because it gives you... You know, like you're saying, her motivations of why she does the things that um, she does as a mom. And there's that element of like, I'm going to be protective because like I needed a mom and you weren't here. But there's also an element of wanting to be close to Kamala, right? And have a mother-daughter relationship that she felt like she didn't have. And it's difficult to have both because, you know, as a kid, most kids, uh, myself included, um, when I was younger, had that perception of the parents and parents' rules of, like, that causes that conflict when you feel stifled or, or something like that. You know, so it's, it's hard to have that balance. I'm desperately trying to remember the exact wording of the scene, but whenever... Sana and Muniba are talking as she's massaging her leg and she's trying to convince her mother to, to move back to America with her. Muniba says something to the extent of, I didn't need the daydreamer. I needed my mother. And you can see that she's got a lot of like holding back tears in her face. She's very sorrowful. And the very next scene is Muniba at the dinner table with the toffees waiting for Kamala to get back home. And it's more of that like friendly parental role of like, you know, come on, enjoy one of this. It's a late night snack. And so you can see her trying to be that mother that she wished she had. So I'm glad that you pointed that out as well. Yeah. So like I do to take that and to, to expand it a little bit because I was, I, I was holding onto this thought, but then it works at any part of the outline. So I'm just going to say it this episode, they let us learn along with Kamala rather than like just, giving us information, right? Like we don't get any information that Kamala doesn't have access to, which, which I thought was great. And this is one of those things that like Kamala is getting that conversation through her mom and her mom's interaction with the toffees, you know? And in, in that sense, like we get to see things like, Oh, you know, Kamala's not really a Pakistani name and your mom was a rebel and, and she see her eyes light up. And, and so like, she's learning these things about her mom and even the off screen stuff where off screen, meaning Kamala's not there in, the, in that context. In those conversations her mom has Kamala's while we know it, Kamala gets that information through the change of through the next interaction or change of behavior, what or well, what Kamala perceives to be as a change of behavior on her mom's part, right? Uh, so that's one of the things I really like about this, um, the show in general, and in this episode, 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm wrestling with something. I mentioned it to you and I went back and forth on this about an article I read, basically making a case that there's too many cliffhangers in the Disney plus shows. Right. And the, as I thought about that on my second watch, I mean, I have a number of different thoughts, but, but in particular watching this in the second show, the one or the second watch for me on this episode, why I don't feel like it was an unnecessary cliffhanger is, is for what I just said. Like we're getting the story through Kamala and with Kamala. And so we're, it's not a story that we're getting access to information that Kamala doesn't have. And for me, it's like, if we're going to take that journey with the character, it's not like, oh, this is a cliffhanger for cliffhanger's sake. This is a cliffhanger because we're at a point that this is all Kamala knows. So this is all we're going to know, you know? And so in that sense, that's how I felt watching it. And so it didn't feel like a cliffhanger to me. I think especially with TV shows, because it's in most instances weekly, you have to have a, a, a leaving point for the character. And so it's like, how, how do you, I, this is its own little tangent. And like, how do you differentiate a cliffhanger in like, I don't know. Oh, because what was, what's the, the most original famous one where they literally jumped off a cliff and you had to wait until the next movie to find out what, what had happened. I think it's with Michael Caine. I'll have to go Google that later. But yeah, I'll have to. But like, to me, there's a difference because we know the story is being picked up the following week. And so it's just like, this is the end point, And here's the tease of like where we're going next. Oh, and oh, it I feels think like Lord of the Rings when Gandalf fell, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where that movie ends. <laughs> well, it's so funny because that happened. And a buddy of mine's dad was like, too bad Gandalf died. Huh? <laughs> Thinking that like I had read the books and I had not read the books that far yet when he had. So I'm like, yeah, what what are you talking about? Like trying to like, like tease his son for, cause he hadn't, and I'm like, I don't, what? When I first saw that movie, I didn't know it was based off books and I didn't know it was a trilogy. So I was like, okay, that's a, it's an interesting place to leave. <laughs> God, that, cause that came out in what, 2002? I would have, or 2001? I would have been yeah. like 11 or 12. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't start reading those books till sixth grade, so, yeah, okay. Around that area. Regardless, I, I see your point. I would like to read that article. I'll get that from you and put it in the show notes as well. But I, I'm not on that feeling like, oh, this show has too many cliffhangers. Specifically because I feel like they led up to it so wonderfully of, I guess I can back this up because one of the last things I think we should get to in this uh, important topic is... Sana and Kamala. The key, I think, for a lot of the emotional core of this episode is through Kamala's grandmother. I've got two points I want to I want to go off of. So I'll start here because in that beginning, I couldn't help but think about how much you highlighted the importance of sharing family stories and having that stay within generations and passing those on and learning about it. And I feel like there is an intentional commentary to that point within this show, because up until this point, whenever we got any interaction with the grandmother, it was through FaceTime and the way they conveyed it. She had like the camera, like super close up to her face. She kind of seemed aloof and maybe not all quite there, but when you see her in person, 
she's very like cogent and like steals the scene and is is the bearer of that knowledge that Kamala's seeking. And it was such a contrast to the way they portrayed her in the FaceTime video. So that stood out to me a lot. And I think it gets underscored even further whenever you get to that moment in the house where Kamala stumbles into that that painting room. And Sana has a wonderful line that I just loved where she says, we lost so much during partition I thought the only way I could hold on to what we had lost was to create it myself. And so there, that again is underscoring that importance of holding on to those stories and passing them on and setting Kamala's journey within this episode off of that conversation with her grandmother, going to meet what we'll get into later with the Red Daggers and some of the other fantastical side, and then bookending it with that conversation again with her grandmother, where Kamala straight up asks her, do you think you'll ever figure it out? And her grandmother's like, what's the rush? And so that to me was the beautiful emotional core of this episode. And I'm glad that they found it through the grandmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. And also I want to point this out. I, I, I will fully admit, I know this is curtains or just blue talk, but if you'll indulge me for a little bit as no, much, okay. as much work as I've been putting into the way they frame some of the shots with the door, the mirrorless mirror frame with the door with Kamala looking in the mirror in that first episode and not quite feeling herself throughout that entire conversation where she's speaking with her grandmother. There are quick shots of Kamala in the mirror, but not in focus because the focus is on her family's history. And I'm betting by the time we get to the end of this series, there'll be a in focus like not necessarily hero shot, but a confident shot of Kamala looking at herself in a mirror and finally feeling like the person she wants to become. Oh, I think you're dead on. I think you're dead on because because that's what I what I overall theme. I'm going to say this and then I guess leave it there um, for the wrap up episode. But this whole idea of you know it's a coming of age story, you know, and 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 I'm not trying to downplay it. I say oh it's a coming of age story, you know, but. I just love how much they're tying this who am I question at this sophomore junior age, you know, uh, I can I think officially she's a junior, uh, but that 16 year old, 17 year going to be 17 kind of age, who am I question, but understanding how much the, the, the family of origin and that family history has an impact and the culture you're around has an impact on that identity, you know? Um, now that's not to say you have to identify or, or accept it. Right. But that's part of it, right? That's part of the wrestling of, you know, growing up and this is the culture I've been immersed in. This is the family that I have for better or worse. Some of us want to leave things behind. Some of us want to latch on to, but it's all part of that process of figuring out. And I, and I love how so, how so much of that is attached to this coming of age story versus like your typical, you're an individual figuring out who you are individually. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think, I think most, it feels like most coming of age stories are about the individual kid figuring out who they are, uh, void of, cultural and family impact when that's just not how it goes yeah there's a lot more depth here i think because two things that are sticking out to me is 
Again, sticking with the conversation with Kamala and her grandmother, her grandmother says something to the extent of my passport says Pakistan, my roots are in India. And there was one other thing, but she she makes that line of like, all these are decided by some arbitrary border. And she's still trying to figure out those fragments of who she is. And it feels like that. It doesn't feel like it was that un, that forced on them to have to make that decision because of the partition. And then again, that that same being of two worlds shows up again whenever Kamala's out with the cousins and the is it Oase, I believe is his name, says something like, oh, is this not good enough for the ABCD's Instagram? <laughs> the American-born confused Desi and Kamala's like, I know. That goes right in hand with what Nakia said in episode two, I believe, of the I'm, I'm too foreign for some yeah. or not white enough for yeah. others. And it's just like the of being of multiple worlds i guess is the best way to put it is at the core of this and it's it's not just kamala who is being explored it's the running theme of the entire show mm -hmm. of people trying to figure that out oh yeah yeah and the in the weird expectation of having to embrace or be a part of one particular world rather than just being you and being comfortable with that you know mm-hmm Unless there's any more, I actually would like to bounce off of that into the next most important topic. No, go ahead. So this next one is going to be the Red Daggers. And this is going to be a, the section in which we can really highlight the first meeting with Kareem and Kamala in their fight, getting to learn more about the Red Daggers and finding out more about the actual effect of the clandestines merging their world with the earthly realm. And so what I wanted to bounce off of is, again, we're highlighting this idea of the uh, being of multiple worlds. There was an article I read that I ended up sharing with you, and I'll make sure to share it in the show notes as well. And it is, it's Miss Marvel Recap Karachi Blues on Vulture.com by Sedant Adlatka. And I know it's a recap, but he actually imbues a lot of the importance of the Pakistani culture within this recap. So it was very illuminating. And the thing that he said that really stuck out to me is that that is Kamala's power. The fact that she's of two worlds. I mean, they say it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The Red Daggers say it. Uh, Walid says it himself. We believe because you have ties to this earthly realm, you are able to control the Noor in ways that other people have not been able to. Again, he emphasizes it in the article, the look on Aman Vellani's face whenever they kind of do that hero shot of her like circling around her as she embiggens her hands. That is a confidence in her that we have not seen up until that point a true sense of confidence not one that gets like shot down with the reality of high school where it was actually zoe who was getting all the acclaim for the uh captain marvel contest but like true like this is who i am this is my power moment yeah and it is built in with that theme of being of multiple worlds yeah yeah no i love that i love that because it's showing well i mean it's taking her in the essence that power of being nor jen or this, those two worlds, you know, she's of two worlds. And so in some ways as a character in storytelling, whether it's a comic or this, it's because in the comic inhuman, right. And you're of the two worlds too. And even though they didn't use the language here, the wrestling with the powers gives us a visual reference and representation of what it's like to figure out what it means to be of two worlds. 
you know, um, especially those who don't feel like they've been in two worlds, you know, and, and don't and, and need that that extra thing to kind of relate to maybe. Right. But this is one of those, you mentioned the story circle the other day and the other day, the other episode. And, <laughs> that was the other day too. <laughs> um, yeah. Fair. Um, the way when that speech happened and the way her stance was of like holding her hands up and like just kind of embracing and started controlling that power and he's having that speech go on. I, I loved how that was shot along with there because there's this element of, especially considering what episode we're in, in terms of, again, story circle, how many episodes are left. Like I said, we're going to get another moment like that, probably the mirror shot that you're right on, where it's like, it's like the reality hasn't been set in yet. Like, look, I'm of these two worlds. That makes me unique and powerful. But that's still very surface level of understanding what that is means and what that means in particular to Kamala as the, the individual. And so I, that's the other thing I liked about that scene. Cause it, to me, it really lines up with that story circle of like now, almost like what you said. Now I think I know what I want. I'm a superhero. I got these powers. I'm starting to control it. I'm learning more about my family history, you know, and then basic storytelling, right? She's going to figure something out about like, Oh, it also means this, and I have to reconcile that, and I don't like it, you know, um, to come out on the other side. And, and so that's what I love about how they just shot the sequence and, and showing Kamala's face and showing her in the in in the almost arrogance with how she interacted fighting Red Tagger and the confidence and like very quippy Spider-Man kind of reminder, you know, and it's almost like you're in a dangerous situation and you're still new to this, but you have this over this arrogance, overinflated sense of confidence that you're going to be knocked down a pedal pedal pedestal a peg peg. Maybe it's a peg, but <laughs> I, I don't know now, but you're going to get knocked down. You know? uh-huh. Um, cause, cause you're not there yet, even though you think you're there. I don't think it's how the Chumbawamba lyrics go. I'm sorry, keep going. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's going to get back up again. And then she's going to get knocked down. And get back up again. Um, and by the time we're ready for the next big team-up Avengers, you know, uh, new Avengers movie, um, then... They'll be then, drinking the night away. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, man. you There's so many good things I want to bounce off of what you just said. The first one I wanted to to highlight, I saw this posted on Reddit, but it was emphasizing, oh, that's what I was going to say, because you brought it back to the story circle. We're on that that return journey having changed. So we're not quite back to the top of the story circle, but we're embarking on that return journey. And what's brilliant about it is episode one, Kamala plainly states, it is not the brown girls from Jersey City who end up saving the day. She's running into this group, the Red Daggers, who said, we protect our people from the threats unseen. She's finally found a group of heroes who are more closely in line with her, who are the heroes that she thought she couldn't be. And they're the ones there helping her along the way. So it's, I mean, almost programmatically with the story circle of like, she has found that group to take her to that next level. And I'm glad that you highlighted the the first fight with Kareem, because we did kind of skip right to the middle of the, the red dagger section, but you're entirely right where 
she's it's almost I think I've I've made this uh, metaphor before. It's like wearing shoes that don't quite fit. Like they're just a little bit too big for her, but she knows she needs to step into him to kind of hold herself against Kareem before realizing he's not the threat that she actually thought he was, but she held her own. I mean, she it was it was much more intentional versus reactionary, oh, yeah. which is what we were talking about the differences last week. She was throwing those in big in hands. She was using those platforms and she <laughs> I think honestly, her only slip up is whenever the dagger came to the foot of her and she picked it up and threw it at him. And it just, they both kind of watched it go to the side. <laughs> yes. Yes. But that was a great moment. Right. Like other than that, she, I mean, she's the hero role. It like, it's, it's, it's the powers before, I don't even want to say the responsibility, but just for the sake of, because of the famous with great powers comes great responsibility. But it's, it's that point. And after the discussion with Waleed, we're starting to see the great power with great responsibility. And I'm excited to see what that's going to look like after the, because I'm assuming we'll get to it at the end of the next section. I'm assuming episode five is going to be a lot of time spent within whatever that vision is. And then episode six, we're going to see the, you know, Kamala who is assured the fighter superhero save the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know it's funny. My, my thought on the slip up, which I think that was a funny and great moment was when she was running up the stairs and the hard light stairs stayed there to let him chase up after. I'm like, no, uh-huh. no, no, make those go away. Get the high ground. <laughs> hey, look. He's not trained under Obi-Wan. <laughs> Listen, man, if I'm Kamala, I'm excited that I'm able to keep those platforms going because that was 100% something she was not able to do in that training montage originally. So... It, it tracks for like how excited she would be like, oh, I'm doing it. Oh, no, it's not helping me now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I do want to take some time to really zone in on Kareem here. What did you think of his introduction? Because he's a pretty major player in this episode. I have mixed feelings. Okay. We're on the same space, I think. Okay. Because there's an, there's an element of I liked that introduction in that it gave us um, the fight sequence that can show off Kamala's skills, right? And because I even mentioned in the last episode, it felt very reactionary. And, uh, and we kind of just like said, talked about there was some intentionality behind it, but still not at a, what I would call maybe a proficient level. How about that? Um, but then there's an element of like, it just felt, like, hey, we got to get these two characters to meet. How do we do it? And it was like, this was the path of least resistance. And and like, there could have been maybe a better way. But at that point, I have to admit, that's backseat riding. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? When Natasha and her sister meet for the first time in Black Widow. And it's that like, immediately to a fight scene, the difference being... Not to discredit the Miss Marvel fight too much because it is enjoyable, but the way Yelena and Natasha fight in Black Widow is just on a different level, if that makes sense. So where the fighting is much more revelatory of the characters than it is necessarily in Miss Marvel. Like I, I feel that sense of what you're talking about. Like, okay, we need to have these characters meet. So let's have them fight on a misunderstanding, and then they'll reconcile once we realize they have more in common than they actually thought at first. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I'm gonna go ahead and defend the Kamala, the uh, not Kamala, um, Black Widow versus Black Widow fight. Um, like I do think it makes sense because you're we know what Natasha can do from previous movies, and this gives us kind of a you know something to measure Elena's skill off of. Of like, oh, you're you know this is what Natasha's done, and you're holding your own. You know, whereas we're still at a very like early point in Kamala's learning journey, you know, so it, it's good to see the per- that she's getting better, but it's a side character where, again, this is meta knowledge. We know Yelena is going to become important on a like individual franchise level. Don't expect Kareem to do that, you know, so in some sense, it just felt like. Again, path of least resistance of here's how we get to do both in one scene, you know, um, and it, don't get me wrong. It's efficient. And we were talking about how efficient the episodes have been and how awesome that has been. But sometimes I think efficiency, if not done really, really well, it, it falls flat. I think it doesn't help. And don't get me wrong. I like the red dagger. If anything, I would chalk for me. I won't speak for you. If anything, this would be nitpicky. I think Amon Valani out charms him in those like quips back and forth, like where he's like, come with me if you want to live. That was kind of on that falling flat line for me as well. Kind of that exchange of like, where did you learn to do those jumps? The Ninja Turtles? I don't know. Where did you learn? The Donkey Kong? I was like... Okay, like that kind of that didn't feel like it was going with the momentum of the scene as much. But again, that's nitpicky stuff. And I will say on the topics of the video games, I love that they did have that exchange on the level that the original inspiration for those platformings was the Crash Bandicoot video game. So unknowingly, Kareem is kind of striking at the heart of what Kamala used to learn. (laughs) Donkey Kong and Ninja Turtles. That is the other thing. As much as I like the references, am I showing age here or my lack of knowledge in pop culture when I felt like those references weren't necessarily appropriate for those for their age? Like, like it's a use of something that me as a viewer would know immediately. But thinking about how old they are versus the popularity of Donkey Kong and when it first came out and Ninja Turtles and all that stuff. Is that something that they would have actually referenced? I mean, a new Ninja Turtle game just came out like two weeks ago. And the last Donkey Kong game was in 2018. Yeah. But I get your point. Like, it, it, yeah. well, it I it's mean, a stretch, it, it's, but I mean. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's part of what took it out of it for me. Of like, those are weird references. That, you know, or what I say, part of why I had the same feeling you did. Maybe put it that way. About those quips back and forth of like what (laughs) well to pull us out of the weeds i'll say i'll I'll frame it this way for as flat as the introduction was past the excitement of the fight i do eventually warm up to the korean character by the end because i did like the 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 palling around at the bonfire uh we're gonna get to some of the other more action-oriented stuff in the next important topic so he does become he pulls up from that flat introduction oh yes and i completely (laughs) agree with you on that but it's it's more of a how do I how do I word it? It's more of a again thinking writers room. How do we get this person in, interjected into the story? So it, so it wasn't a character issue. You know what I mean? It was just the, the use of that per sequence alone. 
So I think the only other thing that I have to say within this section is really just to highlight how sequential the upgrading of Kamala's suit has been throughout this series, where episode one, we get the bangle. Uh, Episode three, we get the mask. And then in this episode, we get that blue vest, I believe, from Walid. I can't remember if it was blue or red, but it has been such an incremental update. And I feel comfortable saying this because when you go to the Disney Plus landing page, the thumbnail for Miss Marvel is Kamala's final suit. You're seeing what they're building to. And so I love the steady progress that we've been making with that suit so far, because as much as this episode's been about Kamala getting in touch with her family history and her cultural roots, this also kept a piece of that American side of her as well, because that mask was made by Bruno. So it's as she's like going through these different journeys, she's having another wearable manifestation (laughs) of those influences that she has within herself. I really appreciate that work. Now, it, it feels like we're getting ready for the next topic, but mentioning the visuals of the costume and stuff, I do want to mention here that for me, this and this is kind of an overall episode thing because the visuals they did with the costume was great, right? Like, like there was a lot of really good visuals, but the style or the lack of style that I got used to, the animated stuff that shows us what's in Kamala's head, that for me was notice- noticeably missing. And I know it happened at one point with the text between um Nokia. No, that wasn't Nokia. On the airplane? You know what? That totally didn't register. I was thinking, Oh, you're talking about with Kareem. The Kareem. But you're right. It happened. Yeah. It happened. Okay, so like those are the only two times? Because you're right, it did. The but the one that I remember is the one with Kareem. But all that to say, there wasn't enough of it. Like and, and I get it. There, there, there's a sweet spot. You don't want to overdo it, right? But we got so much of who Kamala is, that interior world, from those visuals that it felt like I didn't, I didn't understand the shift away from it here. And and that was something that was like, oh, where'd those go? Why that? And, and so those two moments, and clearly I don't remember the first one, it's like, what? Did you not know how to fit it in or did you just like forget about it? You know, or like some editor forgets to turn on a filter and it should have been there. <laughs> right? I'm sure the VFX <laughs> editors are like, oh, yeah, it's just a filter we flip on. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I, I'm assuming it is in the, now, in the I, context I of you. layers. I, you know, you work with these things yeah. and you layer them. And so it's like, it's like they, for, they just downloaded Snapchat. They forgot to like turn on the, the layer or the final render. Um, but no, I... Like, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. And that to me, that's such a, a, that was such an important part of this series that why does this go away? Yeah. And I get you. Like, I think you're hundred percent correct. It is downplayed a lot within this episode. And I actually have a couple of responses. Nope, you already responded. You said the, I'm hundred percent correct. Let's move on. It's so funny you did that because I almost <laughs> entertained the idea of like, I actually have a response to that. You're wrong. And then just moving on to the next one. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm glad one of us got it in, apparently. But um, my my responses to that is, I wonder how much of it is by design that it is dialed back. Again, going back to what I was talking about in that painting room with the, the blue curtains talk, 
if I am reading it like I think it is meant to be read, Kamala is the focus, but she's not the focus. So it makes sense to me that that interiority of her would be downplayed just a little bit because this is the learning part of her journey. She even says it when her grandmother asked. She goes, oh, this has been a bit of an education. And I think it speaks to where she's at mentally that she's actually focused on this. She's not daydreaming about other stuff. She's 100% in the present learning about this family history. And the other places that I will kind of respond to what you were talking about, the airplane with Nakia. Whenever she responds or whenever she texts to her trying to get her to talk, they do a quick swiping motion and you see how many messages that Kamala has not had responded to yet. And so you have that feeling of isolation and they come back to it again, where right before she goes out to go out on the town with her cousins, she picks up her phone and she's, it's a top down shot of her in her bed. She's got her bedspread and she's looking at her phone and we've been built, we've built up this expectation of those visual effects so much that to me, it hit worse when Nakia didn't respond and it wasn't represented in the covers like I was expecting it to be because she's just not there. And so I think that furthers that feeling of isolation, which goes hand in hand with when we see it again with Kareem, it is showing how she has found someone that makes her not feel alone in this journey of of learning about her family, that yeah. those visual flares come back again. So I agree with you. I, it is dialed down, but I think it is intentional on the director's choice. And that's unfortunate because they were wrong. <laughs> I will. Oh, and that was the other thing. Whenever they arrive in Pakistan, the uh, Kamala's like leaving the the terminal. She's kind of overwhelmed by everything that's going on, and you see a bunch of like rose petals being thrown at her. I legitimately thought that was one of her daydreaming sequences, but I, it was kind of refreshing to me that it wasn't. This is the reality of of like the situation, and she's taken aback by it. So I I felt like this episode played with those expectations a bit. Yeah, and and it was wrong to do so, but okay. Um, no, and. I think all of those actually really good points. Um, and in that, in, in that viewing of it, th- it makes total sense that you, you're going to, you're going to pull back on that and, and have that intentionality. Right. Uh, and it almost, it, it, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with you on that and say it adds to the two worlds of this isn't happening here. I'm isolated. I'm in Pakistan versus. I don't want to say like being in Pakistan is isolated, but isolated compared to like the environment she's grown up in. And so to make sure I put it that way, whereas like that's not happening because she's not as comfortable as she would back home. That I get. The reason why I keep pushing and say, no, it's wrong. And I've already mentioned this. Like to me, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, that's what it's like to be the daydreamer. That's what it's like to have the ADHD, right? Um, and like, this is visually representing what some people experience, you know, and not that they see, but like the daydreaming, the, you know, the, the hyper-focus, like all the different things that come with it. And because I read it that way, even the tweet, the one you sent to me where somebody asked the showrunner, Bisha Ali, K. Ali, um, does Kamala have ADHD? And she said, I do. And I had that in mind but it wasn't like something official, you know, that's not something that like 
turns off, if that makes sense. Like that's just a part of who you are and that would come with Kamala, you know? And so because I'm looking at it and reading it that way, that visual style is so to me attached to the character because it's representing that. And so it's like, that wouldn't be missing here. And so I think everything you said was great. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense for me with the textual reading that I have of Kamala in this show. I can see that. And like I said, like there, the, the, the pushbacks I have is not like an, a refutation. Like I, I agree with you. It is dialed back. And I think I have more of an understanding of the way that you have phrased it as like, it's not a light switch that you just turn on yeah. and off. Like it is something that stays with the character. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of push and pull. I, I can see, I can see both angles of, Right. But, but I mean, there we're clearly getting into, you know, something I mentioned in the other episode, uh, one of our other episodes. They should hire us. Right. I know. Um, but, <laughs> but, the, but the idea of like the textual reading, you know, there's the intended reading of a text and then there's what we participate as viewers um, are part, start to participate in what do we bring to the text, which is good, but also I think contributes as to why some people like something and, and not. You know, um, for example, like the change of visual style, multiverse of madness. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> the Last Jedi. Really, were... <laughs> Snyder Cut of the Justice League. Justice League in general. <laughs> but I mean, you get the idea. I <laughs> I do. By the end of this podcast series, it's going to be in-game, but it's going to be me and you standing against everybody we've pissed off. <laughs> yeah. But I would say everybody that has pushed back on the Multiverse of Madness thing, I would think would agree with what I just said in that part of you liking something or not liking something has a lot to do with you taking it in and your reading of it, you know? Um and that's just part of being a viewer of something. Yeah. That's yeah. the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know people who individually thinking of someone, I'm not going to mention who, who just from the first time he saw the dark Knight in the theater said, this is terrible. Do I know them? No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to some degree, you know, like his point I think was, was well made. I didn't agree with it, but, but Yeah. I'll leave that cliffhanger out. And you want to know what it is? Tweet at MC. You need to know. Or long form. Yeah, we're thing. actually back on socials now. <laughs> yeah, it's July one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was a, a very fun detour here at the end of that middle most important topic. But I think we can go ahead and move into the final one, which is the clandestines attack. This is really going to give us a chance to zone in on those. Moments where the clandestines break out of the Department of Damage Control, they meet up with the Red Daggers and attack them, and bring us all the way through attacking the bangle that sends Kamala to the vision, question mark, of the partition. So Jude, starting with you, where would you like to begin? <laughs> that is my. That was two things I was saving for my stray thoughts, uh, but I'm going to do it now in the form of a question. Are they going to do time travel? And does Kamala save her grandmother? I was saving that for predictions. You're 100% spot on. 
Kamala saves her grandmother. You know, which case it's a time travel thing, and that frustrates me. But okay, it would also uh, because you get into these weird time. Is it a time loop now? Like this necessity, you know. And so that's why the bangle was sent because they know, and it's now time. Like, like you get into all those weird questions um, that, to be honest, just you should just enjoy the show and not ask. So, yeah. It would also lend, at least for me, because I haven't found a better reading of it yet, why the bangle is inscribed with what you're seeking is seeking you. And so that, to me, would kind of like lend to that almost self-fulfilling prophecy of like, this needs to happen to always have happened. And it would make sense that Kamala would inscribe that on the bangle for herself to put her on this journey to, to get to this point and would also make sense. Why one, her mother, her grandmother is so casual about it. She's like, Oh, you're not looking at the most important thing. The important thing is learning your family's history, which is why she's there. And it would also lend to why Walid is also so casual about not knowing what that means either because nobody knows except Kamala, but just not yet. No, I think that's fantastic. Um, God, that's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, God, does she say, I wasn't expecting to go here immediately, but yeah, I'm glad we're here. <laughs> does she save grandmother? Um, are they doing time travel? Save grandmother. I, I, I don't think so. I can go one step further, actually, and this was implanted by a Reddit comment where they said they said what I what I said because that's the thought I had while watching it. But they went further and said that would also explain why Aisha disappears because Aisha at this point now comes to the future with Kamala. Mm. <laughs> but again, you get into that weird thing if we just saw Aisha fighting that shot her off to that. You know what I mean? It, again, that was also from the perspective of the clandestines. We don't know how true that is. True. Speculation. It's what this podcast is built off of. <laughs> Stretching. I know. Um, <laughs> that, was a, that was a deep cut reference for, for those of you out there. Yeah. If you want to know, <laughs> go check out our Apple podcast review. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to say no to both of those questions, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do it. And the only reason why is it feels like that for as, as good as this series has been, you know, overall and how much fun this series is with two episodes left. I don't think they overcomplicate things with that. If they go that route, I think it would introduce the worry I've had in other shows of sticking the landing. Whereas without the time travel, I'm not worried about sticking the landing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's the, the Marvel Disney plus like, oh no, not that they can't do it, but that would be the like escalating the end of like, oh, we've got to make this a bombastic mm -hmm. kind of Marvel. Thing. Yeah. But again, that's, we don't know. That's just the fun speculating on our part. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have no idea, but that's, but you're right. Like that, that's the equivalent. And I'll, I'll say this. I think the other part of me that is resistant to that being a time travel shenanigan thing is sticking with that scene where Kamala shows up in, what was it, 1943, 1947? I forgot to, to write it down. Somewhere in that range where she shows up and you see the people just trying to get on the trains, hearing their stories about this is the last train and this is our last chance. We've got to do this. The thing that shook me the most is... 
the sobering aspect is this is real. We're past the superhero stuff. This isn't like super villainy stuff. This is real life. And the horror is that this yeah. actually happened. And so if you take it to a place of like Kam- Kamala using time travel to save her grandmother, maybe there's an argument to be made that because it's that one story, you can thread that needle. But I think it takes away from the the focus of it being true to life, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. Um, and at, le- at least on this end, it's hard to see how they thread mm-hmm. that needle. Yeah, and it's it, it makes sense that you have to go back to that point because we've highlighted the being in part of two worlds. We've, and we see that with the Kamala's grandmother of, you know, my roots are India, but I live here kind of two worlds, right? Kamala's mom, two worlds are, this is where I grew up, but I left here for something better and better opportunities. Um, and admitting like this isn't the opportunity I thought it was, you know, it's not bad, but what I have built up in my head, right? It and to see to 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 have all that, and we're gonna say also say this is about a coming of age that includes family history, right? You Kamala has to know what happened there. And to get to go there and experience it versus like just someone telling her, you know. And when I say go there, it could be a vision, don't know yet, could be just time travel, don't know yet. But either way, you got to get Kamala there to hear and see that story. Yeah, that's using the superhero side of it to the extreme. Like this is, again, relatable stories taken to the extreme. You don't get to do this in any other fashion, but it's being done respectfully, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. It's giving us that that chance for Kamala to be there and hoping there's no superhero distractions, even though it is what's enabled us this. I guess we'll see. I, I do want to say the thing that stuck out to me, and this may be something that you could push back on, or maybe somebody else who knows, or maybe it's something that'll get clarified with the assembled documentary. I think what was another staggering part of that shot, I think that's real people. Like, not computer generated, that's a lot of people just on screen. And it feels, at least in, unless it's just really good CGI, you could tell in the way that they're moving that they felt present there. And I think that's something that's actually prominent throughout the entirety of this episode. Going back through some walks through the city, it's so populated with with real people, not computer-generated stuff, that it all leads up to that moment, um, which is another thing that I think makes it add to that like sobering feel at the end, that it feels real. And also makes the... Uh, the chase sequence feel that much more thrilling as well because it is densely populated as well. I know we always kind of don't have too, too much to say when it comes to the action sequences, but were there anything that stuck out to you in that final section? The only other thing I think for me would be the seeing how ruthless Namjay is to get what she wants, uh, leaving behind um, Kamran, allowing, I was to say allowing, but like, like you see the reaction when the other clandestine was killed, but I mean, we know that that's really only going to be motivating further to like revenge and, and getting what she wants. You know what I mean? And because she left Kamran behind, it feels like that might've been a devastating loss, but it's probably by the reaction, but let's be honest, it's probably not as devastating as 
the sh- the her reaction maybe you know um says so in that i think that was really interesting yeah because i think at a at a point there is a thread of sympathy that you could have for them that these are people who are just trying to get home to the nor dimension and that's how we get introduced to them of course they attack the wedding so you know they're not entirely good guys but they're still just trying to get home when she leaves Cameron and she says he made his choice let him live with it i'm i'm with you on that like wow like this is she's essentially stranding him here to this dimension that he knows he's not from and i'm sure he you know he's made enough connections there that he's not completely alone but when we've now learned that their motivation is to unleash the nor dimension to take over the earthly dimension it is kind of that feeling of like i just don't care what happens to you now like you're no longer factoring into my decision making that's cold <laughs> that's tough <laughs> so yeah so for me, a few things that I'd like to highlight about that final action set piece, I really enjoyed the chase through the streets. Actually, I did write this comment down because it made me really laugh. And I think it was an embodiment of some of Kamala's con- contributions. Uh, Gilda Beast 4 on Reddit said, Kamala behind the wheel of a car is an Avengers level threat. And I thought that was a very funny way to describe her actions throughout this. But more importantly... I think the thing that stood out to me the most is how this chase sequence carries its momentum while also having stagnating characters. So for example, I think one of the shots I loved a lot was where Kamala and Kareem are being chased down the the street and you have that, I think it's the, the big, bold clandestine who's chasing them as well. So the camera follows Kamala and Kareem as they leave the camera. Camera pans back to the clandestine and it follows him as he continues. And the camera comes back and they're hiding in the car. Like they did a lot of those kinds of shots throughout that sequence that was just playing with mm-hmm. the speed at which that attack was taking place. Uh, you see it again whenever Najma eventually kills Walid. And he falls from the top and Kamala and Kareen are running through. They camera from their point of view follows as they're looking at him on the ground, but they keep running. So I was very impressed with the way that momentum kept itself throughout that fight sequence. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that that was a well done choreographed fight sequence. You know, like it didn't feel, I don't want to put it, it didn't feel obligatory or out of place. Like it, it felt as part of a natural progression you know, the show, unlike the, the one, uh, we talked about earlier, you know, where that felt a little forced. Yeah. The other thing I think they did wonderfully as well is when the clandestines originally attacked the red daggers hideout, they have it where it's like, Oh no, well, lead's going to get killed. Like he gets trapped in there. He closes the door and he lets Kareem and, and Kamala go. And then they actually show him escaping. Like I was so prepared for that to be the moment in which he died. And I think it creates that false insecurity to where he makes the active choice of like, I can either defend myself here against Najma or I can save Kareem and Kamala. And he chooses to save them by throwing the daggers, exposing himself for the fatal wound. So just from start to finish, I think it was scripted really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Well, unless there's any more, I think we can go ahead and move into our final thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a good a good choice. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it feels like, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit off. It's it's uh, off pie, but it's 
there was so much exposition in this that it just felt different. And so talking about the episode, um, it, it's more cerebral in the ideas than a mere, a marrying of story mm. and what actually happened. I hope this doesn't come across as derogatory because I do not mean it to be at all. It almost feels like a mood piece, just like kind of that being in the moment, getting to be with the family, learning those histories. And you do have your MCU stuff, but really it is just like a slice of life. I think I've said that before. This was almost like a marrying of slice of life and the superhero MCU stuff. And this was more of the slice of life than the the latter. Oh, yeah. And, and I feel like that that's okay. Oh, yeah. Like that that needs to happen. But we talk about that where, you know, off pod a lot with some episodes and other series where it's like, uh, how much, what can we, how much do we have to talk about kind of conversations because it feels like action heavy or expository heavy. And it just threw me off so much because of how well balanced the other episodes are. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, with our final thoughts, this will be a section for us to either make predictions for next week highlight any stray thoughts we have or highlight anything in particular that you think might be important going into next week. So Jude, what, uh, what are your final thoughts this week? I like that we really embrace the roller coaster analogy. Um, <laughs> only because I, I think, I think that's what we're going to see. Like, like the next two episodes pick back up, you know, and what I mean by pick back up is just like, it's going to, I sounds so weird. It feels like it's going to be that more balanced episode of like, okay, here's, we're, we're giving you the information you need to know. Um, that's important to the character, important to this. Like it, it happens in all movies and all shows, right? There's got to be some exposition, um, to help move things along. And, and so that's what I'm looking forward to and looking there of like, I still, this, I will also say this, this is the first episode of this series that made me, want to speculate time travel did she do it like like other than that all the other episodes i'm just enjoying for the ride and like okay i can't wait to show me what's next um and so again that's just i that's why this episode there's so many ways this episode felt so different than what i'm used to uh from the from the others um but i do feel like we're we're gonna have a ramp up and i do feel confident saying that they're gonna to bring this in really well For me, I've got a couple stray thoughts and something to consider going into next week. So first, I have a note that I took early on in the episode and then a note I took at the end. At the very beginning, I was like, oh, Jude's going to be upset with how many punches this sloth baby's taking this episode because a lot of people had things to say about that pillow. But once we get to the the fire pit, they were all accepting of the sloth baby name. And that's how we know they're good guys <laughs> where everybody else has made fun of Kamala. They were so accepting of it. I deleted all my notes about the pillow um, <laughs> because what I didn't know and wasn't sure is, is this a, Hmm, how do I want to word this? Is this a cultural thing? Right. Or an age thing of like, this is like for kids, little stuffed animals, pillows or cuddle or whatever it is. And that like napping pillow. Yeah. Well, like that you're expected to outgrow. Is that like a cultural thing or is that an age thing? And younger people are more willing to accept that versus, you know, and so 
I kind of chalked that up to like, that's a me problem. And so deleted mm-hmm. those comments, but it did, <laughs> it did bother me. <laughs> oh, I know. Every time it was brought up, I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> yes, it did. It did bother but me. I think if this is, cause I mean, it obviously it's a thread they keep pulling. There's gotta be a moment where it's rectified in some way, because I don't think it's written in as like the showrunners dunking on it. I think it's an experience that they've had that being put into the show to show how people make fun of it when you really shouldn't. But without that resolution, we're still kind of teetering on the which way are they going to go with this kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was that was something yeah. I wanted to, to to bring up on your yeah. part. Well, the other thing it, it's, that, another- it's that little like these little jabs and going back to this whole like. Maybe it's that one extra little jab they're getting in there of like Kamala not being comfortable in her own skin and like, hey, who cares what they say? Embrace it. Or is it really like this is a symbol of she's going to get rid of it when she finally matures? Like, and again, like you said, we don't know which way they're going with it, but it's like, you know, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I am the advocate of like teenagers and high schoolers still going trick or treating. Like, go. I don't, I don't understand the whole, I'm too old to go now kind of thing. Um, you know, like why is that even a thing? Like, I love it. Like the last time I had a teenager come to our house and knock on the door, um, Hey, we didn't have any candy cause we take our own kids out, but they showed up before we left and I grabbed a notepad and, and wrote out, you know, asked the kid's name and wrote out a homework pass and put my work email as a teacher and said, here, have, here's, you're, you're, I don't have candy, but I can give you this and have your teacher, <laughs> when you go to use it, have your teacher email me. Like, <laughs> like I felt bad not having anything, but like, so, and so that's part of the whole, like the cuddle thing. It was like, who cares? Leave him alone. Leave her alone. Anyways. I think that's where I draw the line though, between us. Cause it's like at, at, at that point, go buy your own candy. Like that example doesn't work for me. <laughs> you can drive and oh go get gosh. your own candy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of his music on our pod. <laughs> All right, let me get through these straight thoughts. We've, I think we're going long. Uh, I love the other Ant-Man reference. Makes you wonder, maybe Paul Rudd cameo, possibly. It's the second time he's been brought up. And uh, I actually really love the artwork where he appears. And if I'm not mistaken, I forgot to verify this before we started recording. In universe, the artist is credited as the person who did the art for the comic themselves. I'll have to double check, but I'm 70% sure that's the case, mm-hmm. which is a really cool nod. Um, and I wonder if that means they themselves actually drew yeah. that in, in the show. But that was really cool. Well, you cool. know what? I need to look at the credits again because in the end credits, a lot of the art you see of Kamala is uh, stylistically straight out of the comic. Um, of what Kamala looks like in the color, you know, straight out of the comic. Um, and I haven't seen, which I mean, kind of makes sense. Cause we're like, it's July 1st. We've, we've been staying off of social media, um, me a lot longer than you, but we've been staying off. I haven't seen the pushback on this. Like we did with Hawkeye and referencing the original artist and, and the, the, the art of Miss Marvel, especially in the, um, the end credits, it's just straight out of the, the, the original comic. So I'd be curious to see if, if there's just the credit that I just haven't noticed 
um, you know, or what on that. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Again, I'll double check. And if I can find an article confirming that, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And if not, I'll correct myself next week. Uh, and I'm glad you brought up the end credits because the end credits, it's been shots of like Jersey City before. And this time, I believe it was it was, uh, it was a different location. I think it is in Pakistan that they are showing those end credits with the art. So that was very cool, reflective, geographical mm-hmm. change with the episode. And finally, my thing to consider going into next week. It's, it's really kind of a backdoor into getting this article I just want to put in the show notes because I really en- enjoyed the interview. This started with uh, friend Daniel messaging us in the Discord talking about it was a blogger who talked about appreciating that both Moon Knight and Miss Marvel have been avoiding the stereotypical yellowish filter that a lot of Western shows will do to emphasize being in a foreign country. And that put me down a path looking uh, that put me down a path looking up articles. And there was one in particular where the director of this episode, Charmine Obeyed Chinoy, had an interview with Slash Film talking about the decision to making sure that was a thing wasn't a thing because her world is more than just yellow there are reds and mm-hmm. greens and just a lot more colorful than we t- typically see and so that article that interview was very illuminating and the reason i'm sharing it as something to consider for next week they are the director for next week's episode which makes me feel like we're going to see a lot more of the history side of the partition be front and center because that is something else that is very important to them mm-hmm. as well so if you want more information on that, check the show notes and read that interview. I'd also say while you're in the show notes, leave a rating review, click on the Discord, and give us a call. <laughs> wow, you're getting us out quick. I wasn't trying to get us out, but it was a nice segue. Okay. <laughs> it, it just it popped in my head. So it, it look, dude, I did not take first off, it's later in the evening, but I didn't take my ADHD medication today. Um, and it's been very noticeable today compared to other days. <laughs> it just has. Oh man. Was that before or after our delay conversation rabbit holes we went down? <laughs> it wasn't an hour. It was like 30 minutes. Um, no, like, like full disclosure, uh, on a new medication and the last two days I couldn't sleep. And so I didn't take it today to see if that was. Well, now uh, I feel bad. I'm sorry. No, 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 it's okay. No, you don't. It's okay. Sorry, you haven't been sleeping. It's okay. Well, listen. Look, dude, it's you know, summer for me. I can sleep in all day long if I want. Don't feel bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know what? If you want to reach us about this episode, how you felt about this episode of Ms. Marvel, or anything in general, you can always reach us at MCU Need to Know, both on Twitter and Instagram. Like we said, our social media break is over. We will definitely be more active on those fronts, so you can follow those and look forward to more updates. And we have the Discord as well. That is still as active as it's ever been, and if you'd like to join a larger community who's just as excited as we are about the Marvel Studios projects, you can hop in there as well. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversations about Love and Thunder coming up very soon, so... Oh, yes. Join us. Super excited for that. Um, see? My mind just went, started thinking of the Discord. Do we have the channel up yet? Do we do there? But you, the listener, will find out if we have that channel up in the discord once you go click the link join make sure you click on the roll assign for the eye emoji so you can see all of that um if you'd love to hear your own voice in your own car or headphones please 
give us a call and we will make sure that that gets on the pod. Um, even if it's like, Hey, I just want to shout out to me. Like I can see that happening. Like JB calling in, you know, or somebody calling in is like, Hey fellas, I just, I just wanted to hear my own voice and just shout out me, you know, and feel free, feel free. Um, it's basically becoming your free bulletin board. (laughs) (laughs) If you want a cold open message, you can call us at 512-893-1355. You know what I would love? If people start calling in with like, hey, I'd like to wish so-and-so a happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the cold open. (laughs) That's the cold open. That's a new cold open. (laughs) Hey, mom. I feel like I turned in my homework. Night. (laughs) And then you hear the song. I'm going to (laughs) go. I'm going to go hit Jude's house with trick or treating. (laughs) (laughs) Give me one of those homework passes. (laughs) Oh, man. I have a Discord channel where I just like start feeding in my homework passes for people to print. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, And of course, leave a rating review on Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen that takes reviews. Uh, Truly, truly appreciate it. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on a SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes as well. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Jude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. All right. I've been holding back on this until we started recording because we already had like, what, an hour conversation? (laughs) No, 30 minutes. We got 40, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. You went on that short one. (laughs) We've already had a 30 minute conversation, but I'm going to jinx us. I feel like this is going to be a short episode. (laughs) That's why we had to go a little bit longer before we started recording to get to our Mm -hmm. usual recording time. Yeah, it it wouldn't feel complete unless we were, you know, pushing up against 10 o'clock thinking like, what the hell? I know, I know, right? (laughs) Like, we're the master of having three-hour recordings. The master, the masters of having three-hour recordings. I'm sorry, I think you mean the champions? There you go. Um, (laughs) And coming out with still an hour and a half episode. (laughs) It will never cease to amaze me. We can go for four hours and the final edit will always be an hour and 20 minutes. I know. I know. (laughs) This last week was your first edit in a month, I think. And I got the biggest smile on my face when I saw it the next morning on the, the, on my podcast feed. And it was like an hour and 20 minutes. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) That's awesome. Podcasting's weird. <laughs> yeah.